At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I want to go ahead and invite back up the Ray family. So uh, for those of you that maybe came in a little bit later, um, you, you might not know what is going on right now, but earlier in the service, as we began, uh, we brought this wonderful family up and we gave them a prize. And that prize was a $5, you got that right, we spared no expense, a $5 gift card to Chick-fil-A. But the Ray family had a choice to make. Do they keep that $5 gift card or do they exchange it for what is under box number one? Okay, so they can either keep the $5, exchange it for box num- under box number one, or allow me, who knows what is under box one and knows his family, to make that call for them. And so the, the question I have for you all now is what have you decided to do? Oh, wow. Wow, that's, this is unscripted, friends. <laughs> My heart is, is so touched and moved in that moment. So um, they get what's under box one. Now, now, here's the thing. They don't know what it is, right? It could be something wonderful. It could be something not wonderful. But they're, they're, they're letting me make the call. And so as I think about the gift card versus the box, I'm, I'm thinking box. What do y'all think? Go box? All right, we'll go with what's under the box. And so what's under the box is two scholarships to camp in the city in the month of July. How about that? What do you guys think? We're not discriminating in your family, by the way. This is just those who are able to come that week as far as age. But we are so uh, thankful, and thanks for allowing us the chance to play this game together today. So let's give the Rays a hand. Thanks, friends. So they had to make a choice, right? Those of you who know me know this is going someplace, right? So where is this headed? Well, they had to make a choice. And you know what? Often we have to make choices, Many times in our lives, we have to make a choice where we take something that we see, that we know what it is, and we have to trade it for something that we can't see. Now, sometimes that comes at our own initiation, right? Sometimes we just make the decision and say, you know what, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take some of my money and I'm going to give it away in order to buy an experience that I have not had with the idea that that experience will bring me a greater joy than that money did in my pocket. And we make those decisions. When we commit that time, we, 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 we're still making a trade, but at least it's our decision. But you know what? Other times, the decisions get made for us and we don't have a say. It just happens. And those are a little harder for us to handle. And you know, when I think about just the, the world and the environment that we're living in, that we've just lived through this spring, All of us have had to make a number of trades, haven't we? We've had those things in our hand that we we know and we had to give them up for something that we didn't know. 
So we, we had that soccer season in our hand. We were already registered. We were on the team, and we had to give that back in exchange for a quarantine season. Or we had that, that, that job and that income that we were counting on, that we had commitments to, and suddenly those things fell through. We had to trade it in for something, and oftentimes we traded it in for something that we did not choose. So what happens when we trade something that we see for something that we don't see, especially when we're not the one making the initiation for that exchange? Well, friends, oftentimes what comes into our hearts is not joy, but it's anxiousness, and it's frustration, and it's anger. Anybody relate to that? Has anybody had any of those emotions and feelings over the last little bit? I don't care what your age is, you probably have experienced that to some degree. I had that graduation ceremony, and it was taken away from me. I had that summer internship, and now it's gone. We had to make those trades. And here's the challenge for us. We would love to make trades when they bring joy to our lives. But how come we make some of these trades, especially ones that we didn't initiate, do we get anger and frustration instead? And is there a way for us to have joy in our lives regardless of what happens, regardless of the trades that are made? Well, friends, I believe that it is absolutely possible. And it's possible because there is one who sits outside of this universe who knows what's under every box. And when he exchanges things for us, the gift that he gives us in return is something that we absolutely want and desire. That it's absolutely possible for the joy of the Lord to be given to us even in moments when we go through great difficulty and challenge. And friends, I I know that, not just because I've got a verse that I can show you. There are verses I can show you, and we are going to look at some of those together. But I know that also because of the testimony of an individual who went through some very difficult things and yet still had a persistent joy in the Lord. And that person that I'm thinking of is the Apostle Paul. See, Paul was a prominent figure in the New Testament. He was one of the first followers of Jesus, but not the first. As a matter of fact, early in his days, Paul did not like Jesus, did not follow Jesus, and even persecuted those who were following Jesus. And yet, a massive change, a revolution happened in Paul's life when he sees Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his whole eternity changed. And once Paul began to follow Christ, he had a hope that he could not lose, but he also had a joy that he could not shake. No matter what happened, Paul was able to have joy. And it came in the midst of some very difficult circumstances. We're going to look this week and next at a letter that Paul wrote to his friends at the church at Philippi, a letter that we know of as the letter to the Philippians. And in that letter that Paul writes, he he writes it in a historical context. Most scholars date the letter to the Philippians in 62 AD. 
And so it's helpful for us to think for just a moment about what were the challenges that Paul was facing in 62 AD. Well, first of all, Paul was in prison in 62 AD. He was in a difficult spot. But not only was he in prison, but he was experiencing these things as well. He was experiencing ethnic bias in 62 AD. Now, you might be going, what are you talking about? Well, what I'm talking about is what landed Paul in prison in the first place. You know how Paul ended up there? Acts 21 tells us it was because of his persistent friendship with people that were from the other side of the tracks, people that were from a different ethnicity than him. His insistence that they also had access to God through Jesus Christ and that they had the ability to worship him. Because of that belief in those actions, Paul was discriminated against. And his fellow countrymen, the Jews, they, they rounded him up and they wanted to kill him and they, they put him on trial. So in 62 AD, Paul was experiencing some ethnic bias. Not only was he experiencing ethnic bias, but also the authorities had mistreated him. The authorities in his day had mistreated him. He had been arrested on some trumped-up charges. They accused him of doing something that he had not done. And the jury was so corrupt in the area where he was arrested that he had to go thousands of miles away just to get a fair trial. The authorities had mistreated him. They had beaten him and his friends and intimidated him unfairly. Not only was he experiencing those things, but nature had battered him. Now, he was not experiencing the effects of a pandemic, but what was he experiencing? By 62 AD, he had survived a, a shipwreck. He had been bit by a poisonous snake on the island of Malta. He was experiencing difficulty. Not only that, but his timeline had been delayed. Paul had plans, he had desires, he had dreams, and suddenly he finds himself in the days before he is transported to Rome where he was being held when he wrote this letter. He finds himself imprisoned in Caesarea for two years in a holding pattern. His timeline had been delayed. And during that time of imprisonment, his income was disrupted, unable to continue his business as a tent maker during his time of imprisonment. See, Paul, friends, had experienced a number of difficulties. Now, I, I don't want to say that our experience and his are the same, but do you see some parallels of some of the joy-stealing things that might have been in Paul's life in 62 AD? And yet, in the midst of those joy-stealing moments, what does Paul say? Paul says that he has joy. As a matter of fact, verse 18, in the midst of all this, Paul says yes. And by yes, he means, yes, I know all the challenges. I know all the experiences. I know all the things that you know about Philippians that would attempt to steal my joy. And yet, Paul says, I will rejoice. So how is it? that we can have a joy that persists even in the midst of circumstances and experiences that would want to steal our joy. Well, friends, we need to look to Paul's life and his example and to the words that he writes to his friends in Philippi to help us know what it looks like and how we might have a joy that persists as well. So if you've got a Bible, open to Philippians, the New Testament, and turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin in the second half of verse 18. 
and we're going to read down through verse 26. I want to read these verses for us, and then we're going to back up and make three observations today. Paul writes, and he says this. He says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, friends, in these verses today, I believe that Paul shares for us three secrets to joy in the midst of challenges. Well, what are those secrets? The first one I want us to see is this. We are not alone. Can you all say that with me? We are not alone. Remembering that we are not alone was a source of joy and encouragement to Paul. But where do we see that in the passage? We see it primarily by looking at verse 19. In verse 19, Paul says, I know that through your prayers, this will turn out for my deliverance. He says, one of the reasons why I'm able to have joy in the midst of a joy-stealing moment, Paul says, is because of you, Philippians, because you are with me in the midst of this trial because you are with me in the midst of this challenge. Now, what did Paul mean when he said that they were with him? I mean, they weren't there. Philippi was a number of miles away, right? It was a long journey from Rome where Paul was in prison. So in what way were the Philippians with Paul? Well, one of the ways they were with him is they knew of his challenges and had sent Epaphroditus, one of their servants, to go and to care for Paul. See, they were aware of his treatment in the Middle East. They were aware of the discrimination that he had experienced. They were aware of the mistreatment he had at the authorities. They were aware of the shipwreck. They were aware of the snake bite. They were aware of the challenges that he was facing. And so they sent Epaphroditus from Philippi to Rome to minister to Paul. So Paul says, I'm encouraged because I know that I'm not alone because I know that you were with me. And what he meant was, I know that you were mindful of me. You're aware of my circumstance. You have sent Epaphroditus to me. Now, what is what would that look like in in, in our day? It would look like if if Jacob Skinner was sick, right? Hey, there you are, Jacob. Uh, what, What if what if Jacob was sick? And the Skinners live in their house, and the Robinsons live in their house. But what if my, my family, aware of your challenge, send my son on a bicycle over to bring a care package to Jacob? 
Well, then the Skinners would know that the Robinsons are with the Skinners, even if there was a physical distance between us. And in the same way, Epaphroditus coming to visit Paul reminded Paul that the Philippians were with him in the midst of that challenge. And not only that, but they had sent with Epaphroditus a gift basket. They had sent provisions to help care for Paul's needs. We don't know exactly what all was in there, but it was something that God had used to provide for Paul in that moment. So certainly, when Paul thought of the encouragement he had from the Philippians, it included those things. It included the sending of Epaphroditus. It included the gift. But what do we see it say in verse 19? What else did it include? It included their prayers. You know, all too often, we spend, when we say prayer, we think, well, you know what? We can't do anything. I guess we can pray. It's like a last resort. And yet, what did Paul say? Paul said, I am confident that this will lead to my deliverance because you are praying for me. Now, what did he mean? He did not necessarily mean that he would be released from prison because they were praying for him, because he's going to say in the next verse, I don't know how this is going to turn out. But what Paul meant was that his, the arc of his life would maintain a faithfulness to Jesus throughout this, that he would grow spiritually, that he would honor Christ and his relationship with him throughout that time. Why? Because of the encouragement that came from the prayers of the Philippians. God did real work in Paul's life through the prayers of others on his behalf. Now, friends, when we think about that, We also need to remember that not only was Paul encouraged by remembering he wasn't alone with the Philippians' encouragement, but also he remembered that he was not alone because of the provision of the Holy Spirit. What does it say in verse 19? He doesn't just say it's the prayers of the Philippians that did it all. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul knew that he was not alone because the Holy Spirit was residing in his soul. God had placed it there at the moment of his conversion so that that Spirit might empower him to have a hope and a joy that would be there regardless of the circumstances. Now, I love the word that Paul chooses to use to describe the Spirit. In in my translation here, it talks about the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Another way to say that would be the supply of the Spirit of Jesus. But that little word translated help or supply in the original language was the idea of a massive offering. It was used of a city in Greece or in the Roman Empire, when something big would happen and a major celebration needed to take place, if a big benefactor dug into their deep pockets and gave a generous gift so that the party could be bigger than they had ever hoped for, that was this word, help or supply. What, what Paul was saying was, I am not dealing with the meager resources in my own pocket, but I know that God has given abundantly to me in his spirit so that I might have joy. Now, let's think about that in our world for just a moment. How many of you like to celebrate the 4th of July? Now, on the 4th of July, many of you will have fireworks, But what if the fireworks that you celebrated on the 4th of July were only the fireworks that you could purchase? How great would the celebration be? I'll tell you, at the Robinson House, it would be sparklers, right? We would have sparklers, maybe some snakes, you know, those little things that just kind of leave a black dot on your, do they even sell those anymore? 
I don't know. But snakes or sparklers, that would be what we could afford, right? That's what's in our pockets. But if you go to Disney World on the 4th of July, the sky will be lit up because they will have dug into their deep pockets and they will have given an offering that lights up the sky far greater than my meager resources could provide. Friends, the same thing, the same thing is what Paul says. I can have a joy that persists because I'm not alone. Not only are you praying for me, but the Holy Spirit is inside of me and God can light up my life in a way that my positive thinking never can. And so we think about this for you and for me. You realize that we can have a joy that persists when we remember, when we remember that we're not alone because there are others around us. Look around. We can do this. We can look around. If you're on the other side of the camera, look at who's in your room and imagine who is in this room. We're not alone. We're not alone. There are others around us. And you know what we're doing as we are around each other? We're praying for one another. During this time where we have been separated, we haven't been gathered in this room, we've been praying for you that the love and the joy of God would be present in your life. You're here today, and part of that is because of the prayers of others, not just those at Wildwood, those who are family members, those who love you, extended network. The prayers of God's people for God's people are part of how we have a joy that persists. But not only do we have others around us, but also we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We are not dealing with merely our own resources. So when we think of applying this point in our lives, friends, be encouraged. And as we're encouraged, also pray for others. If, if God brings encouragement and joy, which we all want, which we all need, in response to the prayers that we have for one another, then who are we praying for? Not who's praying for me. We trust that that's happening. But who are you praying for that God might bring a sustaining joy in their life? And how might you be relying upon the Holy Spirit and trusting God to work to, to illuminate your life with his joy. Friends, remember that we're not alone. Well, a second secret that we see inside of this passage, though, is this. That second secret is that your funeral is not the end. Your funeral is not the end. Can you say that with me? Your funeral is not the end. How was Paul able to be encouraged even when his circumstances were challenging? He was able to be encouraged. He was able to have joy because he knew that his funeral was not the end. Paul did not know how his imprisonment was going to turn out. He says in verse 20, I don't know if this will work out for my life or my death. I don't know if Caesar will give me the thumbs up or the thumbs down when I stand before him. And yet, Paul said, I have a joy that can persist because I know that whether Caesar says I can live or says that I must die, that I can have joy because I know that my funeral will not be the end. It's as if he is saying to his friends in Philippi, if I die, you will have a memorial service for me. But as you remember my life, know that I am still alive. He knew that his funeral would not be the end. Now, how did he describe that in these verses? I love what he says in verse 23. 
In verse 23, he says, my desire is to depart to be with Christ, for that is far better. He described his death not as the cessation of his life, not as a door that is closed, but he described his death as a departure. Now, what did that word depart mean? Well, it had a number of different meanings in the ancient world, but I want to highlight one of them that I think is, is, a, is a beautiful picture inside of what he's saying here. One of the ways that this word depart would be used is of someone who is camping in a tent, breaking down that tent and going someplace else. I don't know how many of you enjoy tent camping or how many of you camp in tents from time to time, or even for some of you, if you've gone to the father-son or the father-daughter camp out that Wildwood has every year. When you go to those events and you, you go to those camps, you set up a tent, a temporary structure where you live for a while. But after that time of camping is done, what do you do? Do you stay there because that is the place that you get to live? No, you break that tent down and you depart and go home. Why? Because it is better to be at home. Now, some of you, I hope you agree with me on that statement, right? But Paul is saying about his life, that his life on this earth is living inside of this tent body. His body, he describes just like a tent. And when the Lord calls him home, he will not cease to exist. But this tent will simply be folded up and put in the trunk, and he'll go home to a better place in the mansion that his father has prepared. That perspective allows Paul to have a joy even in the face of losing his life because he knows that his funeral is not the end. As a matter of fact, Paul will say, for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. He says dying is gain because he knows that when he leaves this life, he is going to go into the presence of his heavenly Father. And when he gets to the presence of his heavenly Father, he will no longer be dealing with sin and sorrow and sickness. But he will have experienced a gain, an upgrade. When he trades what is in his hand for what the Father has behind the curtain, it is always better. And so, he knows that his funeral is not the end. So here's the thing. How can that be true for you? How can it be true for you that, that you can know that you have a joy regardless of what happens even to your physical health and life? Well, the only way that happens, friends, is if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is not just something that is universally applied to everyone. It is only for those who have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. See, Paul can make that statement not because he was born in, in uh, a Jew and, and not because he had done good things. As a matter of fact, he had done bad things. He had been a party to murder earlier in his life. It wasn't because of his personal good deeds that Paul can make that statement. It was because he had trusted in Christ who died on the cross for his sins. And because Jesus had taken care of that penalty, he had the opportunity to have an eternal life in the presence of God. And so if you want to have the same joy-proof situation where, where we are able to protect our joy regardless of our circumstances, then we need to have a relationship with Jesus because it reminds us that our funeral, even our funeral, is not the end. The first thing that we see is we're not alone. The second thing we see is that our funeral is not the end. But there is a, a third secret that we see inside of this passage. 
and that's this. Your life is not about you. Your life is not about you. Can you say that with me? Your life is not about you. How is it that that Paul could have a surefire joy, even as his circumstances were difficult? The reason why is because he knew that his life was not about him. Now, there were things that Paul might have been able to say that his life was about. He might have been able to say, my life is about tent making. For to me, to live is tent making, because that's what I do, and that's who I am. He could have said, for to me, to to live is to have a solid reputation. He could have said, for to me, to live is to be experiencing the joy of the freedoms of being a Roman citizen. He could have said that for me to live is those things, but that's not what he says, is it? What does he say? For to me, to live is Christ. For me, to live is Christ. What what Paul was saying was, my life here and now is not about me. My life here and now is about Jesus Christ. And that made his life have joy because that principle can never change. Being a tent maker could be taken away. The freedom of his citizens of Rome could be violated. The, the, The income that he had, the reputation that he had, could be tarnished in so many different ways. But his relationship with Jesus was rock solid secure because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ. Now, what does it mean when he says to live is Christ? Well, a couple of clues, I think, in the passage. The first thing that we might see is that to live is Christ means to live is to glorify Christ. In verse 26, it says, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Now, what does it mean to say to glory in Christ Jesus? Well, that idea, glory, could also be translated to magnify Christ Jesus, to make Jesus large for those around me. Now, I want to bring a little friend out here. What is this? Telescope, right? Now, what does a telescope do? Yeah, it, it, blah, 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 that's what I heard. Um, I'll tell you what I, what I think it does. It, it allows you to look and see something that is far away and to bring it close. Right? Now, when you look through this lens, it makes Jupiter appear larger. But what is larger, the telescope or Jupiter? Jupiter is way larger than the telescope. This just allows us to see that which is far off more clearly for what it is. And in the same way, friends, what Paul says when he says, for me to live is Christ, he says, the point of my life is for people to see Jesus more clearly. That people all around Paul might have thought that Jesus was distant because he was no longer in Palestine in the same way he was during his earthly ministry. But Paul said, the purpose of my life is to take that which you think is far off and magnify him so that you can see him more clearly. And Paul knew he had a, a, a special way to do that because of the challenges and the difficulties that he was going through in his life. I look around this room, I won't, I won't give any names, but I just, I know some of the challenges that you all have gone through. And I think about how I see Jesus more clearly because of the challenges that you've gone through. 
and your faith in Christ in the midst of that. To live as Christ is to glorify Christ and to help all who are around you to see how wonderful and large and awesome Jesus really is. Not only that, but Paul says that living as Christ means not just glory, glorying in Christ, but also serving others in him. He says in verse 24, but for me to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul decides to stay, not so that he can gain more things, but so that he can give away more blessing in training and discipleship and development to the church in Philippi. When we live for Christ, then not only do we magnify him and make him great, but also we spend our lives serving others in his name. Paul represented that. So here's the question for us. I want all of us to actually answer this. For you, to live is blank. How would you answer that? For you to live is to get social media likes. For you to live is to gain promotion in your work. For you to live is family. Let's be honest. For you to live is to accumulate more possessions or to make more money. What would you say? For you to live is what? Well, guess what? If any of those things I just said are what it means to live for you, your joy will not be secure because people will unfollow. People will not respond. They'll stop taking notice of you. The job you have could go away. The money in your account could disappear. Your family could not work out the way that you wanted it to. And there's challenge and there's pain and there's difficulty in all of those things. If our life is found in any of those things, friends, then our joy is not secure. But if for us to live is Christ, then we will spend our days and our time and our life magnifying him, showing the universe how wonderful Jesus is because he cares for little old us as we walk with him and trust him and follow him. And not only that, but our days here give us an opportunity to serve others in him. Friends, if you're here and you know Christ, how do you have a joy that is secure? You have a joy that's secure by remembering that we're not alone, by remembering that our funeral is not the end, and by remembering that our life is not about us. When we remember those things, then we will always turn to the God who knows what's in the box and say, God, I'll let you choose what this next season is all about. Because my mission and my purpose and my joy are set on you. Father God, thank you so much for just the opportunity to gather and to worship today. I pray that you would just help us as we continue this time of, of worship, as we leave this place and follow you, that you would help us to glorify you and to live for Christ. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.